welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series Ted Lasso. All right, you know what we do, but we'll remind you anyway. We get you into an episode overview on the latest Ted Lasso. We give our take, a little little bit of a snippet of a three-word episode review. We talk about what happens on the pitch, off the pitch, because there's storylines everywhere, and get you to the main theme. We get a little sprinkle on a little bit of pub trivia. And, of course, we have to crown the winner winner of football dinner. That is just what we do. It's in the contract, right, Brandon? 100%. Today we are covering Season 3, Episode 7, The Strings That Bind Us. And if only we had known what that meant beforehand. Uh, After leaving (laughs) Amsterdam feeling good, the Richmond crew head home to learn total football in a truly hilarious and heartwarming episode. That's right. And if you want to warm the cockles of my heart, uh, you could just engage with us on social media, uh, at Pod Underdogs, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that sort of stuff. And also, if you would be so kind, please uh, go subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. It really helps people discover us. And we picked up a hell of a lot of new listeners last week, so something's working there. So I appreciate that. Welcome to the family. But we got to kick it off with the three-word episode review. Per usual, Dan, you're up first. Tactics take time. Not just mm. on the pitch, but mm. off the pitch as well. Tactics, maybe changing the way one engages or one attempts to engage, trying to understand and read situations. Look, even wunder kids need some help sometime in other facets of life. So yes, tactics take time. I uh, have already changed my series to uh, call me wunder kid as well. <laughs> nice little hack. It's amazing. I put hard turn right, question mark. This episode came out of nowhere. We got a little bit of the feels, but this seems to be way off the traditional kind of tempo and pacing and feels, I think. So uh, is everything just great? Did we hit the halfway point and now it's all sunshine and rainbows? I highly doubt it, but it was good to get a different uh, little little pace of the episode, Nick. Lastly, certainly not leastly, you're up. You guys, I just need you to play through me. Um, please just, Did if you, you wouldn't mind. Isolate three words. I yep. isolate the three. <laughs> just play through me gotcha. right here. The whole episode, just I'll, I'll just conduct. It's going to be great. All I can think of is AHA's take on me just playing through that. Take on me. Take well, per usual, me. we're going to start it with on the pitch, a.k.a. the football stuff. And after dreaming and scheming up the already very real total football in Amsterdam, we find Ted and the rest of the team in the film room. The purpose, learn all about the rich history and legacy of Johan Cruyff is how we say it in America. But that is nowhere <laughs> close to how the Dutch There's say it. There's a lot of extra movements of the mouth that go into the Dutch pronunciation. Yeah, I apologize. And Josip, uh, a.k.a. Pep Guardiola. Coach Beard gives an Emmy-worthy PowerPoint presentation on the mechanics of total football, and the players are impressed. Very 70s vibes to this one, Dan. Yeah, Dan. Very, very much... <laughs> 70s vibes right as a child of the 70s yourself you can tell (laughs) us Uh, no no 84 um beard gets in talking about how total football is a constant movement players are no longer set positions defenders are free to attack attackers are trusted to defend it's about taking risks and supporting each other's choices and saying like when your friend wears something new and outside his comfort zone instead of ignoring it everyone pays them a compliment which you know We've probably done this group before. We've probably complimented <laughs> something that uh, one another has or hasn't tried in their life. Uh, and then to talk Beard to you, goes, Dan. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great looking hat, Dan. It's a, it's a great segue. Um, and then beer goes into a lot of comparisons to uh, different uh, you know mediums, whether it is uh, music or film or other art forms, and then also uh, talking about uh, his mother's proud display of uh, you know uh, enjoyment toys, um, hmm. but. Uh, but a beautiful life is total football is the way that it all gets capped out, Nick. And the players are impressed. I mean, they, they're like, wow, well, this is a hell of a thing that we have going on here. Uh, however, that feeling is short-lived as uh, Ted proclaims very uh, matter-of-factly that they are to learn and implement this very, very complex football ideology by the weekend's match at Arsenal uh, and, and hits them, Brandon, with a little hush your butts. Uh, and and even Roy is concerned here. Uh, this yeah. is a it's a tough beat. This was funny, super relatable. Obviously, I've gotten to play, but yeah, when when Roy's like, "Don't worry, we're gonna train a couple months. We're taking it to the fucking pitch." And Ted goes, "No, actually, we're gonna do it this Saturday against Arsenal." And Roy's like, "Well, that's fucking mental." <laughs> and Ted's like, "No, it'll be fine." And you're like, Roy, who was like supportive on board, like we're gonna do this the right way. We got a couple months. We'll work on it in the background. And Ted's like, "Yeah, this weekend, Arsenal." has to be said we get prime comedy roy in this episode like yeah the the, like season one comedy roy and it was like he his like the look of exasperation on his face when he's like oh that's fucking mental is probably pretty accurate because the uh, eyebrows raise up eyes get really big like mm. yes yeah (sighs) tough well uh it, it continues uh because uh we flip to the the crown and anchor pub a place that we uh, haven't really seen this season, which it was good to be back. May's a bit depressed. The team is bad, a.k.a. the pub is empty. That's how it works. So Ted and Beard are sharing a pint when Baz, Paul, and Jeremy come over there backsliding to stop being so nice to Ted. But Ted doesn't get bothered by such things. He actually invites them to training to see what the team is working on because you want to know? Well, let me know. And the exchange, Dan, between... You know, the group is is just quite so good. funny in this in this scene, which is why I think a lot of us miss the pub. Well, and then Baz making the comment of apologizing and the reason why for getting all soft on them. Yeah, we humanize you and lost all objectivity. And then Paul's follow up, the main reason why farmers don't name their livestock. <laughs> and then Jeremy with the man, then we don't learn the reason to name Baz brothers girlfriends anymore because he's a male whore. And that exchange is great, but I think we learn a couple of things here. One, Ted does not have the same thought around training that most Premier League teams or managers would have, where you would absolutely, unless it's a scheduled event by like marketing PR, where you let them in for like a 10 minute block, not the entirety of it, a 10 to 15 minute managed block of time, usually at the end of training. This Some of our journalist again. friends don't even get to go to a full training session. Like they, they yeah. get blocked out sometimes. So this is a very uh, not smart thing in the area of cell phones. Well, it, it is true. And so obviously they, they rile him up a bit, very season one esque, rough him up. Um, but you know, it's funny. They're, they're all giddy and excited that they get to go to training is your point. And they're like, are we going to wear suits? And it's just like, again, them going from big, high and mighty to, Oh shit, we're going to training. We should, this is a big occasion. Oh. Yeah, let's dress up. But Nick, the exchange between Beard and Ted, it just it it hits Ted right on the head and like it gives you full insight into what he's thinking and how he sees it. And I think his point lines up with a lot of the fans, but 
it does not line up with modern day football at all. No, this is a, uh, you know, like we're all members of the Chelsea supporters trust. And like, this is a very Chelsea supporters trust thing. Uh, Beard says, coach, are you sure you want fans of practice? And Ted says it's their team. We're just borrowing it for a while. And that is a really, really nice sentiment to hear on this show because, uh, football clubs without supporters are nothing. Uh, they, they would just be playing in empty stadiums, you know, with no TV, it just wouldn't work. And so I think it was a nice hat tip, Dan, to fans being the soul of any football club. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, we move. We continue to move because training is a right. The team needs to get into shape and drill Sergeant Roy Kent has the perfect conditioning drill. Run line to line until you puke. And Jamie is clearly the most fit of the group. Hmm. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he kind of went with this. Ted said, if we're going to play total football, there are four things we need to focus on. All right, number one, conditioning. Y'all got to get into even better shape. Number two, versatility. Number three, awareness. And number four, well, I don't know what that one is yet, but I know it's important. And that would be a recurring theme in this episode. Uh, so, yeah, I look, I don't. can I get a yes, no surprise that we actually got to see projectile vomit? Oh, I'm not surprised at all because we saw it from Jamie a couple episodes ago, right? So, I mean, to me, this is a, uh, you know, very much setting us up for the team to enter into a bit of a new space. And I think it was interesting that Ted had some tenets, Dan, of, of what total football was, but is either holding back his knowledge of what the fourth is or genuinely has no fucking idea. Well, again, this came to him in the last episode on a believed trip of some sort in an American-themed restaurant in Amsterdam while maybe tripping on barbecue sauce. So all the tenants might not be fully absorbed for total football just yet. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, look, who knows how long they had that barbecue sauce? I'm not just saying that a big list. I don't know how fast they go through it. So uh, anyways, we're going to take our first ad break. But when we are back. We have training day two and a lot, lot more. Thank you to the sponsors. And we'll be right back. All right. The second day of training is a lot more of the same fitness training, but with an added twist versatility training that's right in a hilarious scene the players swap positions to learn how to cover for each other on the pitch so it's like a defenders with an attacker and they're paired up so if one goes left the other one goes right yada yada you all remember um and it even got to the point where beard and will swap roles which oh my god my favorite scene of the whole episode i was not ready for that like the tape spiritually the tape mentally <laughs> emotionally i was not ready for that and by, i think i left far. my body for a moment when i saw will oh my god he... tracksuit sunglasses everything <laughs> i just i absolutely love this will has been such a good foil for the last two seasons you know like he's such a good little bit of comic relief i even love that beard acted super clumsy with the water bottles like will does like it was it was fucking perfect the scene is amazing tossing them yeah yeah uh continuing on danny and isaac test out some new accents and the players get to work that is except jamie he doesn't switch and well you know what we'll find out a little bit later dan run it from the top on this one and uh ted's little expose on this uh well sorry ted said all right you got to 
got to be able to jump in anywhere at any time. And the way to do that, well, is understand and appreciate everyone's position, every p position's function. That's why we got our man Beard replacing Will today as our kit man. Yeah, so get out there. We scrimmage. Y'all going to be swapping positions with someone else. Yeah, uh, for example, you know, Isaac, we're going to move you up forward. And Danny, we're going to drop you back into the fence. Got it? Then Isaac with the, I'm going to be Danny Ro Rojas. And then I, you know, kind of confirms that. And then <laughs> Danny with the, we're going to fuck him up, bro. Like, it's so good. <laughs> Isaac, ideas mios. I mean, they just back and the, forth. The comic relief in that one scene alone is so incredible. But Danny, Danny's had some just banger one-liners this year. It's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's, and again, it's the comfortability between the players as well, right? Like, they're not even questioning this. I would be questioning that, like, this massively. But instead of that... They're finding ways to find levity in it. They're enjoying it. You know, they're like, we like Ted's like, can't use the accents. They're like, oh, then what's the point? He goes, okay, you got it. Yep, accents, whatever you need. But like, they want to, and they're taking it serious because not only are they taking positioning serious, they're trying to do accents where they literally are swapping roles. So we, we see an impressive display of athleticism for Zorro. I mean, Van Damme. Uh, because why would a goalkeeper not play up top? That is our second most natural position as goalkeepers. Mm -hmm. uh, we learned that Isaac has never taken a corner before, absolutely smashed it into Higgins' window. Poor, uh, poor Higgins on that one. Um, and again, just like these little huddles, Nick, throughout this episode, right? Because Isaac, big, burly, tough guy, and he completely crumbles under the pressure of having to take the simplest of things. And the this is actually the reason why this episode was originally called Boxes and not The Strings That Bind Us. I have no idea why they changed it, but uh, Isaac says, Coach, I never taken a corner before. Ted says, No, I know. That's because you were put into a box, Isaac. As a 10-year-old little boy with the strength and facial hair of a grown man, the box of a center back who was never allowed to take a corner kick. Well, my friend, that box ceases to exist today. What do you want me to do, says Isaac. Ted, I don't know. Just kick the hell out of it. And kick the hell out of it, he did. Uh, poor Higgins, uh, Dan, just uh, was the recipient of uh, an unexpected uh, winged, window clinger on that one. Yeah, quite quite unfortunate moment to uh, to be there and uh, thankfully not enjoying uh, sipping a hot beverage or anything in that exact moment because, boy, oh, boy, the shock behind you would have been very unexpected. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think rightfully so, Brandon, you get uh, Trent Krim, who is kind of the voice of reason this season from the footballing world perspective. Like you're you're getting him now as a character that is introducing effectively what I would say is like the listener, like the viewer or listener question. Like, hey, so you're trying to implement a strategy and that's going to be like really difficult. Right. And like if you think about it, teams take full preseasons, right? Like multi-month periods to try to set up for a season and typically to make this change in the middle of the season uh, either requires two things. One, your manager being replaced, um, which again, we as Chelsea supporters know quite well. Mm -hmm. And uh, two, you know, some type of maybe uh, injuries to players that cause you maybe to shift your thinking about how do you use the complement of players that you have. I mean, someone did leave. Hmm. True. So, you know, he reinvented himself, right? Uh, Trent goes to Ted, says, I just want to make sure I have this right. You're going to change tactics at this stage in the season. We're what, like roughly halfway through, I think. Um, we're going to replace it with a totally new method that the boys are clearly struggling to understand. And you think this is a good idea? And he says it like very right, you know, encouragingly, instead of it being like an accusational tone. Ted goes, mm, well, Trent, 
way I see it, it's kind of like taking a hike with Robert Frost. It could go either way, hmm? Yeah, this was, if you remember season one, this is uh, the same tone that he said, is this a fucking joke uh, to Ted in, in the presser, right? Um, and, you know, look, I think, Dan, you're 100% right. The, the you know, Trent is, is basically the voice of the fans in this one. Uh, we all are like, what the hell are they doing? Um, next day of training. They're, they're trying to burn in the image in a very short, accelerated window of, of training during the week of total football into the into the players. Uh, Drill Sergeant Kent, back at your service, uh, has a uh, ridiculous and borderline uh, graphic <laughs> uh, training drill that we uh, we did not see coming and will never be the same after now now seeing it where uh, the players are connected to each other uh, by red strings attached to what, Dan? Uh, to, uh, the, the other, not the crown jewels, but <laughs> we're looking for dicks where the dick yeah. is, is a is serviceable word. Look, th- th- this is where Roy Kent adopting a little bit of the, uh, mighty, mighty ducks team USA philosophy of, uh, trying to build the team together by roping them all and making them skate on the ice. Look, uh, this is quite the way to elevate that training drill. <laughs> and again, like. We can go through this, like, okay, let, let me just take it from the top, because I was about to, like, get involved, and I'm like, you know what, it just, there's no need, we can just read it. Ted, yeah. in Japanese culture, they have a myth where they believe that all soulmates are connected by an invisible red string, and those strings are attached to each of their little fingers, Jamie. Okay, so why is it tied around our dicks? Players muttering. Ted, yeah, yeah, well, you know, that was Roy's idea, uh, but I'm pretty sure that... The thought behind is it nearly impossible to not be fully aware of what your teammate's doing when you all got a rope tied around your ding-dong. Right, Roy? And he just goes, mm. <laughs> and then big old grin on his face. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing. And this is the part where it's like, I'm a coach. I can make decisions. You can't question me. And this is me just getting back at all of you. Yeah, Ro- this is just like cruel and unusual punishment from our guy, Roy. Uh, you would see waist. A lot of ropes tied around waist is what you would normally see in training. All right. Yeah. Like anyways, it's fiction so we can run with it. And yeah. well, the boys, I'm assuming we all enjoyed it. The females watching this were probably like, this is dumb. Oh yeah, it was dumb. It was hilarious. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm glad it happened. But, um, but look, I mean, this is basically just like put the Benny, Benny Hill music behind the, the, the highlights that we see in training everyone's a mess. No one wants to go through it. Jamie uh, gets his string pulled off in a very uh, difficult moment for him. And when he's okay, Roy goes back to frowning uh, because I think he was, he was hoping that something terrible would happen to Jamie, which is still funny. Um, And, and even the, like even our pub guys in the, in the audience are there trying to figure out like, Oh, should we do this too? Uh, It was a fucking disaster of a session, but uh, they they did learn a lesson. They they're finding a rhythm. They had that like water bottle scene uh, in the locker room where they're kind of kicking around stuff. And Roy is still in the in the locker room figuring out new um, new drills where where ropes are connected to different people's. It was it was a lot to take in. The the spider web equivalent, like hey, <laughs> five people are gonna be connected to one. It's just like Roy. The absolutely is. is yeah, really, really coming out here, and you just need to put that put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah, Beard was like, I think that was a one time thing. Yeah, one time shot there. Yeah, so hundred percent. 
Um, Trent walks in and asks about the fourth pillar of total football. The coaches still don't have it quite yet. Uh, they went around the horn. Nobody had a clue. Uh, ready or not, it is match day already in the canary yellow clad Richmond to head to North London to take on this little team called Arsenal. Before the match starts, Rebecca and Keeley are grabbing, I'm sorry, gabbing. They were grabbing drinks. Uh, when Sam's important distinction, that is true. Uh, when Sam's dad, uh, more on him later walks in and is introduced to Rebecca and it was awkward. Yeah. A little bombastic side eye from our, from our guy Ola there. Huh, Dan? Well, when Rebecca also introduced, says Mr. Obasanya, very, Respectful and and typically, I would imagine that level of society. I mean, you're you're both adults. I mean, most people, you know, are generally not introducing themselves by or you know saying hello to people by their like last name. Um, so that was kind of I think a little telling of the way that she maybe views the relationship she'll, that she had with Sam. Um, and then. <laughs> Mr. Ovasanya with the Samuel has told me so much about you. And then the awkward has he? Yes, he has. <laughs> like that it's just the perfect like type of reaction where Nick, like you you know that maybe like the whole story hasn't been told, but it's enough now to make it super uncomfortable for Rebecca and Ola is just sitting there enjoying the heck out of it. He is happy with all the chaos oh. he's created. Uh, well, in, in the group, only some people know, like Keely knows about Rebecca and Sam. Obviously, Ola knows about Rebecca and Sam. Higgins doesn't fucking know. Right. Like this is a, it's so you, you have to be careful in, in a group setting like that in a very crowded place of like saying everything that's on your mind. But uh, in terms of uh, setting down a marker, uh, Mr. Obasanya comes in real clutch there and uh, and kind of. It protects his son because that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And he, like you said, just the way he would let things sit, right? And and someone had to like chime in, and finally Keeley got it turned around. Uh, but onto the pitch in the first half of total football. Yeah, complete disaster. Turns out uh, it's clear that the players do not know what to do. They are tripping all over each other, literally running into each other, and it's all a bit of a disaster. After a first half hat trick from Hamilton, played by producer Chip Hamilton. Uh, Richmond is down 3-0, and it looked dejected. People are even leaving the crown and anchor at halftime. The mood is bad. Poor May. Poor, poor May. Poor May. She said, it's over. We're going to get relegated again, and I'm going to have to go back to filling the sausages with cardboard. It's so good. (laughs) Such a good line. And But look, our, our guys, after going to one or two training sessions, are fully lassoed, Dan. They're fully, they're into the mode. You can say that they've been uh, corralled by lasso. And, yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I think it was an interesting point, though, because there's a lot of impact to when a team maybe gets relegated or isn't performing well, like around the area where there's maybe the open seats, less people are going to the pubs, less people are you know, maybe connecting with their friends or one another, less people are maybe spending money in those locations. And so, yes, the, the barkeep, the tavern owner, can often be forgotten in this situation. And uh, they might feel the impact of a team's results being poor, worst of all. Yeah, 
Paul, oh, Jeremy, that? and Baz preaching patience, though, guys. Like they're they're in it. They're in it to win it, and I, I like that. Given that line, what does this situation need? And you're like, oh my <laughs> gosh, just ripping it from Ted himself. And if like it wasn't hard enough to digest on the training pitch, you're getting it in a pub. And you're like, I'm not here for this, guys. Nah, I'm good. Anyways, jumping into halftime, the locker room and the players are blaming each other for the poor performance. But most of the Irish focus on Jamie, who is trying to play facilitator instead of goal score to keep the play moving. The coaches mull over, switching back to a 4-4-2, which would be a little soon. Uh, and then Lasso, we get the Lasso mustache origin story. And I mean, look, I can't do it justice. Nick, you could. Yeah, look, uh, you know, this is a little bit of a confession here. As a as a person, especially in college, as a as a young person trying to figure out the facial hair situation that I would eventually adopt myself, this really resonated with me. Uh, I tried a goatee, I tried a soul patch, I had a very patchy beard for a while, I had a mustache. Uh, I, I tried everything, and, and luckily the beard filled in, and, and that's been the primary go-to, although I can grow a hell of a mustache as well. Uh, Ted says, well, I remember back in the early days of my coaching career feeling compelled to express my individuality. So I was a straight fellow in the mid in middle America, uh, working in sports. I was, and I was scared of tattoo needles. The only real option for me was to do so through my facial hair. And obviously I couldn't grow a beard. Uh, otherwise coach and I here would look like ZZ, a ZZ top cover band. And Roy said, uh, would have been called sharp dressed men. God, I hate what you've fucking done to me again. Another just brilliant Roy line. But then Ted has a bit of an epiphany moment, Dan. He He's talking about, you know, the phases of his own facial hair, and he kind of comes to something uh, through that moment. He does. He talks about how he r- rolled the dice and grew in one of those big, bushy cable guy go- goatees. Uh, oh, Larry the Cable Guy, for those who are not uh, maybe aware, they can do a Google search. And then mentioning that Coach Beard had to take him aside, walk him right down the aisle, and told him something he need to hear. It's your and beer goes your goatee makes it look like you ate out of Bigfoot's butthole, and then <laughs> Roy aggressive. again. There's a lot, <laughs> aka Asquatch. This would this this was a great little moment for Roy to show that he has adopted in his own way the lasso spirit in the zippy one liner response with a popular cultural reference or a quick turn of phrase. Uh, and then Ted goes with the uh, coach is right. Not a good look. Not on that this face. So I shaved that puppy right down to an, into a Foxworthy. Also a king of comedy. And never look back. Uh, it, um, the point is, a lot of times the right idea is just sitting behind a couple of uh, the wrong ones. Damn. The philosopher's back. Preaching. Yeah. Yeah, look. I mean, it's, it's part of it. And Brandon Jamie shocks everyone. He's been the... The one that's been chastised in the halftime locker room, he's taken a bunch of hit, uh, heat, I should say, and he shocks everyone by asking if he can share an opinion. He doesn't want to be a prick. Uh, he gets the okay via middle finger salutes from everybody. Nobody's and, buying it. And he he does a better job of coaching the system than the coaches have coached the system but, with the the marker board. Yeah, they got it close. Right. They got a close. Clearly Maybe it wasn't working. Turn. Yeah. And Jamie's, you know, again, remember, he was kind of in a different situation. He wasn't played out of position. And this is kind of it coming to fruition. Um, he says, I mean, no, I mean, I think we're all doing it or wrong. Right. After he says, well, first he's like, you're doing it wrong. I'm yeah. not doing it wrong. Well, wait, wait, we are all doing it wrong. But 
If we want this to work, you got to stop going to me and start playing through me. You get me? No. Danny goes, and there it is, numero cuatro, sacrifice, putting aside personal glory on behalf of the team. Ooh, I like that. But that ain't, and then Ted goes, I like that, but that ain't number four. You're like, come on, just give it to us already. Like, <laughs> uh, just just rushing through this one. But um, what comes is, I think it's about the 75th, 77th minute, you know, so about 20 some minutes in, and we see an unbelievable passing sequence for the team absolutely the definition of total football everybody's on their feet you see rebecca and keely just being blown away in in the box and they get the goal the triangles are there the spacing is there the fluidity is there the movement and ted i mean to the point he almost can't believe it and good old friend of the pod arlo white absolutely with the master class read on this one and he says that was bloody gorgeous a majestic sweeping symphony of a goal with tart in the role of conductor so we, we see a change in role, Dan. Jamie, used to being the number nine, used to being the goal scorer, has decided to sacrifice because he's also a really great number 10 or facilitator. And he's allowing the other players around him to flex in different ways that, that suit their strengths. And look, who doesn't love backhill pass? Now, you're, you're not, survey a bar of a backhill pass to a layup for a goal. Everyone oh, loves that. Everybody sexy. loves that. That is That is great. But look... They still lose 3-1. That happens. But the EKG is seeing some some rhythm to it. There's no longer a flat line. There are some bumps in that, some bumps of positivity. And it gets everybody going into a great type of situation. And then, of course, the stand-in for the audience in Trent Krim has to come back, Brandon, and give us the run-through of why he thinks this is going to work. Yeah, he goes, it's going to work great. Ted's like, what is... Trent said, total football. Okay, why? I'll tell you why. The lasso way. You haven't switched tactics in a week. I haven't? No. You've done this over three seasons. But by slowly but surely, you're building a club-wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leading to their inevitable conclusion, total football. And Ted goes, well, how about that? Trent, it's going to work. Doesn't even matter what number four is. (laughs) Roy, you fucking dork. (laughs) And Ted goes, yeah. But he's our dork. When Ted says, well, how about that? Uh, Look at his face when he says that. It's almost as if he's been a coach for a while. Right? And and again, his, his strength has never been tactics. His strength has never been making, you know, his players that much better through individual movements or whatever. His strength is what Trent has said here and what we pointed out in this podcast so many times, Dan, that... He allows people to be the best versions of themselves and the best versions of themselves are the best players that they can be best players out there typically win you games because they're better. And uh, I, I think the well, how about that with a little smirk was a not so subtle way of saying I fucking got this. And it's almost as if Jamie hmm. is a little bit of lasso on the pitch. Hmm. It's about the selflessness for others to make things happen whereas ted is the conductor off the pitch jamie is now the conductor on it how about that dan funny how that works um but yeah we're gonna take our last ad break here but don't worry we still have all of the off the pitch stuff so thank you to sponsors for financially supporting the show and we'll be right back 
off the pitch, aka the workplace stuff. Much like last week, we're going to look at off the pitch within the context of character threads that were pulled in this episode, not necessarily in order like we just did. And the first one, the power duo, Keely and Jack. We got a really cool opening in episode seven with a You've Got Mail style look at Richmond. We see Jamie training with Roy, Nate waving to Jade. The city looks alive. And then that translates directly to Keely and Jack having a nice little moment over coffee. Jack continually wooing Keely with gifts. Uh, gets her a first edition Sense and Sensibility signed by Jane Austen. Boom. Starting off with a bang. Yeah, I mean, after they've banged, you know, so it's a fair enough point. Um, Keely, did you destroy a priceless artifact just to make me laugh? Uh, one, it wasn't priceless. It was actually very expensive. Two, I can get very jealous and I hate the idea of you regifting that. And three, uh, no, I didn't. That's all her. She really wants you. <laughs> That's all her being Jane Austen. She really wants you to go, girl. So you better go, girl. And, uh, and you know, watch me. That's that's a very a very Keeley esque line at the end there uh, to to kind of round it off, without a doubt. So we head back to KJPR where Keeley is working um, when Bab comes in to deliver positive news and notices the first edition gift that Jack got Keeley. Keeley lets slip that they had breakfast together, well coffee, and they they met at there they because separately. they came from separate <laughs> places. Yeah, it was super clunky. And Bab clearly figures it out because this is standard operating procedure for Jack, is it? Because obviously Babs I, knows Jack. I think I think so. I think this is not a uh, an isolated incident, Dan. I don't know your thoughts. She loves hard. She loves in bold ways. She loves quickly the way that Jack does. And Maybe it is something that's happened in the past, but, you know, I think as we get into the episode, you know, we learn a little bit more about her approach to romance and, um, you know, maybe, maybe why it is or isn't uh, the way it is. Yeah. A uh, little back and forth. Key says, I'm just not built for a secret office romance. I'm used to everyone knowing everything about me. Barbara saw the book that you gave me and I didn't think I could tell her that we were dating because I don't want us to get in trouble. Jack says, we can't get into trouble. That's a rich person thing to say. <laughs> she says, because we are two consenting adults and I'm get away with murder rich. Oh, damn it. I spoiled my own line. Uh, Keely says, really? Yeah. Like who else? Name names. And Jack says, everyone connected to Epstein. Keely, I don't care if people in the office know we're dating. Do you? No, of course not. I just didn't know how serious you were about this. Come with me, Keely. Do do we think the Epstein call out here and the getaway with murder things like a pretty big red flag? Like, d just being honest. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but it, it, it is definitely a very, uh, it's a risque type of remark to make in even, I think, a comedic setting. So, um, bold move, Cotton. Let's see what happens next. I suppose if it's like in modern day, right? Which I think you kind of accept it for it is then there's definitely some stick to it. So interesting, to say the least. I mean, you could have chosen any other name of a rich person, though, right? I mean, yes. I'm not going to play the game because they're going to somehow <laughs> be connected to him. It'll just, like, yeah, fail anyway. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. yada, yada. Moving yada. on. Um, let's see. So anyways, uh, it seemed like the staff are supportive, right? Um, yep. 
It gets a little overwhelming, though, because then Jack left a, just 100 million daisies, as Keeley puts it. Love bombing to the extreme. Keeley goes off to coffee with Jack and tells her that she doesn't want to always be swept off her feet. Jack tries to just chill her out, but not before hiding a gold ring and a croissant. Why can't we just have normal things? Why Do not put <laughs> jewelry in food. If this is me talking to you, if you have a romantic plan, stop now. Abort we're gonna have we're gonna have choking hazards stop doing like the this. the ring and the champagne where you can at least see it uh, like even that's that, fine you're like nope still not then it's, <laughs> it's sticky there's no no just don't yeah, do this anymore exactly uh anyways keely does say hey i want to reciprocate this in the relationship it can't just be one way and jack's like cool but it better be fucking good in a jestful way um but like Something we've been waiting for, Dan. I think this might be the first time all season we see Keely and Rebecca having one-on-one time. Well, they get their nice dinner together, which is, uh, you know, I mean, look, you know, they're friends. They go out for dinner. They get a chance to enjoy a meal. And, uh, you know, this one, we get a little bit of Dutch boat guy conversation, which <laughs> uh, which was good. But then we get introduced to the idea of the, the love bombing and Rebecca aligning this to the way that Rupert showered adoration on her showered her with affection um you know throughout the beginning of their relationship and didn't is really kind of providing it as a advice situation to keely and kind of goes through um rebecca's quote saying uh they do those they out there um do that name stuff but what i do know is on my second date remember second date he took me to a car showroom and said which one do you want so, like, that's the type of, like, you know, it, we're seeing then that, oh, well, you know, yeah, the 100 Daisies and, like, a first edition James Austin. Like, all of these things are very much within the realm of really extravagant for what is a very, very short relationship uh, at the, in the moment, Nick. Yeah, an interesting uh, user uh, insight that I saw on Twitter was that Rebecca's ring is a, uh, a string that's tied into a knot. And she was moving it around as she was talking about felt good to be taken care of. A lot of people, who were, you know, who are Ted Becca stands are are tying the red string and that ring together. Brandon, just for you, just a cute little thing for you to take into consideration right there. Gross visual. Um, it goes it goes pretty deep on the old Ted Becca. I, fandom, I can imagine uh, on, just like we're on the Twitter pairing <laughs> a red rope tied around their dicks to her ring on a finger. It's all I'm saying. Like it's a whole yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a, a leap on that one for sure. Um, I, I do like what Rebecca says to Keely. Like they kind of go through this whole thing. She says, "Just trust yourself." I ignored so many red flags in my past, uh, and and Keely comes up with love blind, which is an emotional version of color blindness, where a person interprets red flags as a giant green flag, and uh, and yeah, that was kind of my my purpose for asking the Jack question before is like, it, is is that a big red flag that she's just not able to see because it's like so nice and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, it's overwhelming. And look, this is the exact opposite of Roy Kent, right? So she's got a big swing of relationship and emotion, uh, which I think is, is very understandable. Um, you know, she, it was just very different, right? Like literally polar opposites. And I'm sure she's really enjoying the beginning of it. That's why we always call it the honeymoon period, right? Of any new relationship, um, things, you know, usually kind of regress to a mean, but who knows with Jack? I mean, a ton, ton of money. 
But we kick it over to Nate, uh, who over at West Ham, he's trying to game plan, but he gets distracted by text from his mom. It's his sister's birthday, and he's not to be late. Why? Because his dad gets upset. Okay, that. Speaking of red flags, his uh, dad's always upset. Exactly. Man. Uh, but then he seeks counsel from a trusted advisor, Siri. <laughs> I mean, do with the voice, Brandon. You've been working on it. Come on. Uh, uh-uh. it's so bad. It's like Siri, which I bet my computer's about to go off now. Says yes, Wunderkind. He's like, how can you tell if a girl likes you or is just being nice to you? You can't. Isn't that the fucking truth right there? Well, I tell you what, he tries to he tries to get his family to go to Taste of Athens. Obviously, he might have ulterior motives in that moment, uh, but mm. they end up saying, nope, mom says, I'm cooking, you come over. So uh, on his way, he stops by Taste of Athens to see if Jade is working. She is not, uh, but the owner is happy to talk his ear off as he fumbles through let her know. Don't let her know. Well, if no, no, okay. Uh, All right. Never not, mind. But, but. Nothing. Leave nothing. And at his house, Dan, though, it's uh it's a surprising bit of support in this in this setting. Yeah, the you know, the, the family is there and uh they get an opportunity to uh it's interesting that the I guess the brother in law um and the uh his niece end up being the ones who go out with the father for ice cream so that the they can have their girl time. <laughs> so so girl clearly time, yeah. how how Nate is viewed by his father, like just another example of the way that maybe he's kind of perceived. I, I think I thought it was interesting too, uh, you know, and, and we have this highlighted in scripture, like the the box the decorative box thing from season one where where nate was bringing those in as a part of like the team building uh we his niece rats him out he's the one who's been making these not her he, he isn't the one who's like kind of helping her out she's helping him out with the designs and stuff like that and it kind of painted him into a bit of a different picture especially with what we're going to talk about uh coming up here brandon because he's more of the creative uh, artist than I think we gave him credit for based on what we learned here. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, he's, he's an artiste without a doubt, mm. just has a different way of expressing himself. Um, and, and, you know, at dinner, right. They, we get into the girl talk, right. Cause his sister wants to know who he's sleeping with. <laughs> Clearly have a circle of trust in that house. And, uh, obviously that's when, you know, dad and brother-in-law leave, as Dan was saying. But you know what? He's like, hey, you're females. I can come to you, right? You're you're on my side. How do you know? And they're like, you can't. But Mama Bear's got a little bit of insight, you know. And, and to be fair, his sister has to push her to get there. Um, and they bring out essentially the start of the relationship, which is hilarious. It was this huge map that ended up being like, will you go on a date with me? ridiculous like father like son he he's inherited the the creative genius dan from his dad doesn't give off this aura by the way he's pretty confident and a bit of a dick right now but if he needed a map (laughs) to ask a girl out like dude has done some growing over the decades look nothing wrong with a prop Nothing wrong with the prop to signal your interest and help to differentiate yourself from the crowd of suitors going after potentially the the hand or the affection of someone you're interested in. But the 
map with the distance between places we were born, 4,125 miles. Distances between the places we were raised, 4,230 miles. This is between our dorm rooms on campus, 1.3 miles. Uh, which also, this wouldn't this be kilometers? Like, very odd that they use the miles. Um, just if they're a British household, they would probably use kilometers. Um, and then distance between us on Friday night at 8 p.m., hopefully one foot, would you like to go on a date? Which uh, was very, very sweet. Clever. Um, way of yeah. Also, it's a little payoff to when they were talking about Ted's divorce in season two. And Ted was like, you know, I moved 4,000 somehow, whatever, miles away. And Nate knew that right away because, you know, him and his dad had talked so much about that in the past, Brandon. It was a, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of, that plus the crafting thing gave me a new way to think about Nate like he's more of the starving artist and hopeless romantic than the macho dickhead mm -hmm. and I think him playing the macho dickhead for Rupert is just not his comfort zone I think he loves love you know mm -hmm. oh without a doubt I, I completely agree with you there um, so yeah so they push him get action get involved like the only way you're going to find out is if you ask the scariest thing to do. So he gets in front of Jade, freezes, goes to the bathroom, comes back hype, but then he goes, hey, something I got to do, and just leaves. And you're like, oh, um, okay, well, cool cliffhanger, Mr. Action Hero. But he, like Ted, gets over his anxiety, right? He doesn't go into full panic mode, Dan, which was a, an interesting little twist. Well, he, no, he doesn't have to engage the, the, the hate Nate, which is what he would do when he would get in front of there and basically spit to kind of devalue himself and put himself in a position to be able to handle the moment. He resists the urge. He, he shows he's turning back to the light side of the force that he's willing to not be fully corrupted by this negative identity that has to put himself down. And then, uh, you know, look, he, he goes back home, he, he leaves and he gets uh, working on that new diorama and you know, gets ready, It gets the scene at the end, he's ready to do it, he's hyped himself up, he sees her across the street. You think maybe is she walking out to look for him at this point? Because we've seen this repeated theme, this beat now multiple times in the episode. She sees Nate from across the street, he has the box in his hands, he makes the first step, and then he trips and falls. The box flies forward! You think it might get injured. You think it might get damaged, but no, it's okay. Nate's okay. He looks up. Jade's okay. She's happy. Meow. Vroom! Truck rushes over, and the box is crushed. But Brandon, not Nate. Nate is not crushed. Nate is reborn. Oh, yeah. I mean, he gets up, finishes the walk, and just asks her. Just didn't even say hi. Just, you want to get dinner with me? Wow. What a look. I'm I'm happy for the guy. Like I I think we all entered the season thinking Nate was going to be more of a villain than he's proven to be so far. Uh he's definitely growing. Um and uh you know, it was it was nice to see him not at work for once, you know. He, he he's having a nice dinner, he's having some drinks. And they look like they're getting along. So who knows? Who knows what'll happen? Yeah. Hotshot Premier League manager waitress at a restaurant let's let's do it well when she showed up whoo hostess 
So Sam had a bit of a journey himself on this one. Uh, We talked about (sighs) Ola. Uh, He's taking stock of his restaurant. Everything's looking good. And he's worried, right? He's worried because he's he's not really telling people why. He's like, hey, got a special guest. Please, you know, double, triple check everything. Screw in the light bulbs. Dust the the ledges. Like, we got to have be ready. And then Simi just laying in to the home secretary, banning refugees. Isn't that right? Yes, chef. You know, she's got the team just drilled in at that point. And it's uh, it's something that's very, again, if you take it at present day, very relevant, very common. It is there. You get a little bit of flirty banner here. And we find out Sam is checking in. He finally kind of lets it slip. His father is a special guest coming into the restaurant. And Simi calms him down. Hey, unfazed, not even worried about it. Uh, she's a she's quite confident, old Simi. Um, Samuel, using his full name, by the way. <laughs> Power play. Like, all right, all right. Samuel, if the food is good, which it is, no one cares about the spoons and whether the spoons match. Like, you gotta lower the blood pressure, my guy. That's that's what that is. A smart from uh, smart from that chef as well. Um, because you know, it is true. Get the big things right. The little things don't matter. Could you apply that to so many different things in life? Uh, but anyways, the, um, kind of go back like this, this obviously a bunch of immigrants you'd assume, or people from that are first or second generation from immigrant families are really starting to get consumed with this news and, and very understandably. So they probably have family that they're hoping to come in and you have these people in these rafts. It's just all, all like very tough and then you get this secretary saying britain is closed and boy simmy just pops her top sam uses platform finally he wasn't really sure i wanted to play it dan nah he thumbed it right on the twitters shot right back at her yeah i mean he and the thing is like this is very interesting because this is actually only intensified as a point of conversation over the last three months even in the uk with uh, you know migrant populations and turning them away or building places to drop them off in places in Africa, like there's a lot you should read up on it, and that's not what we're going to do here. But it's a terrible way to treat people who are fleeing for survival and trying to find a new life wherever possible. And Sam gets his comments out there, and then the politician, which uh, like many politicians do, uh, particularly ones who uh, don't give a damn. Uh, tells him to go shut up and uh, dribble, which uh, very much uh, probably a, a very similar to uh, the way LeBron was talked yes. to at one point, Nick. Uh, almost a beat-by-beat beat reference to it. Uh, just politician this time and not a uh, Fox News anchor. Life imitates art. Art imitates life. That's what they did here is a pretty direct uh, ripoff of, of that sort of thing. And, you know, he he's clapping back. You know, old Sam is not taking... Uh, Brenda Burroughs shit. He says he would rather be a mediocre player than a world-class bigot. Boom. Mic drop. Except Brandon, not, not as much. Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, you know, it, and, and they kind of rushed all this stuff, which again, they're trying to fit it all in. Yeah. It's like, you know, one action, reaction, action, reaction. And then, you know, we get to the point where he finds out his restaurant has been ransacked and vandalized and, and, you have to assume because it says shut up and dribble on the wall that it's because of his political views and his tweets. And um, it's just a a really gross, you know, kind of feeling a part of the episode, which I think it was supposed to be. And um, it really hits him hard and understandably like that was his, 
um, taste of home, right? That's where he went to get a little bit of comfort, nostalgia anytime he, he missed space. Home. Yeah, home and family. It's it's like it's like when you get robbed or someone steals your car or whatever. You just don't feel the same in that space after that. And it it really did hit home. And you know, I think this is the scene of the episode. Uh, we don't give out that as a an end of episode award, but if we did, this would uh, be that uh, because. Uh, he he jumps into the locker room. He's 10 minutes late. Isaac's kind of joking around like that's going to be a hundred spot for you. And, and Sam throws Isaac out of the way and throws his bag into the locker and says, I'll tell you what's wrong. The world is full of evil people who do shitty things, but I can't deal with that because I have to kick a little ball around, uh, which those same people love me for that is until I fuck up or I miss a penalty or I decide to fight back. And then they're just going to want to ship me back to wherever I fucking came from. And, uh, Dan, based on uh, Jason Sudeikis wearing a sweatshirt uh, about these three guys, this felt very much uh, mirrored off of another real life event. Yeah, the uh, soccer Rashford and Sancho, um, you know, with the Euro 2020 final, they lost to Italy on penalty kicks and very much received a fair amount or an unfair amount rather of backlash from uh, English supporters who were very unhappy with the way that their team performed at the end and, uh, you know, uh, un- unjustified and undignified responses for players who had willed their team towards a final and, uh, almost won it, um, in similar fashion, almost got themselves to, you know, or pushed very deep into a world cup run as well with the, some of those same players. And, um, yeah, this is just, I think, another example of, uh, you know, the way that this backlash kind of metamorphosizes into something both in the, uh, the digital world into the real world. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely on that one. Um, they love connecting this, right? They don't shy away from things. I mean, this is the most blatant, you know, connection to, to the, to the past few years, uh, and understandable. So, uh, Mr. I'll be signing shows up. Sam needs him in this moment. They share a wonderful bond, and this is a 180 to the Jamie dad moment from season two. Uh, they have a really, really like just wholesome moment before training. And Ola says, Do you know how long it will take you to reopen? Sam says, I don't know if I will. He says, What? Why? For who? Just so somebody can go trash it again? Ola says, You do it for yourself, for your friend Simmy. For all those people who want a taste of home when they are away, follow your heart, Samuel. Anger will only weaken you, but if you really want to piss off the people who did this, forgive them. My son, listen to me. Don't fight back. Fight forward. Uh, just a major shout to Nanso Anozi, who plays uh, Ola Obasanya. I absolutely love him as an actor. Uh, I think he's tremendous. He has one of the deepest baritone voices uh, in the world, and that is coming from a fellow baritone myself. So just a, a huge shout to him as a as an actor. And I love the concept of Fight Forward. That is so Sam. Uh, you know, this is, you know, we, we also saw this uh, little moment where Ted's looking through the glass and he's seeing this father-son bond, Dan. And, and I think that's what he tries to do with Henry when they're together is try and, like, you know, be be the better angels on his shoulder and not not the other side. And I think that's why, you know, you got to see that little moment between uh, Ola and Ted where they were just kind of goofing around because we, we heard in past seasons that 
Ola respects the hell out of Ted. He called him a safe pair of hands for a son, right? And so I don't know yeah. how you felt about this whole moment, but that was that was kind of striking to me. Look, I would gladly take more Ola Lasso interactions in this yeah. season. And look, you know that uh, you know Ted offering up some American candy went uh, went a far away to continuing to deepen that relationship between the two with a little bit of uh, high fructose corn syrup, which I actually think is a great way to think about Ted Lasso's at export into the UK. <laughs> uh, absolutely way too damn sweet, but boy, oh boy, we are so proud of our corn, aren't we? Damn right. Yeah, the new bromance, Ola and Ted. Let's go. Let's see how it plays out. Uh, after the match, Sam takes his dad to see the busted up restaurant on the way. Again, sharing some more bonding. Ola says, I know it's not the outcome you wanted, but I'm very proud of the way you and your team played today. Remember, they were down 3 nothing and a half, came back, played with uh, heart, fluidity, and actually, if you want to break it down this way, they won the second half, even though doesn't mean shit when you lose 3-1. Uh, but anyway, Sam says, thanks, Dad. He goes, ah, ah, and I met Rebecca, Sam. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you make things weird? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. What an absolute treat for a father. I, uh, Brandon, I think you can take great joy in this moment, but I think the Sam-Rebecca romance is, is pretty much dead at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I think we I think we killed it off in this one, yeah. just as a, a heads Without up. Without a doubt. Uh, but they step in the restaurant, Dan, and what do they find to their surprise? Well, no surprise. It's actually no surprise. The entirety of the team there, look, you take the Zava out of Richmond, you get your Richmond back, and they are there supporting one of their own. They're helping to paint. They're helping to prepare neon signs, which, you know, look, I didn't know we had a, a neon expert on the, the Richmond side being able to uh, get that sign put back in working order. But this is just, it's back to the type of unity that we've enjoyed from this side and it was rekindled in the Amsterdam trip that they just took. I mean, yeah, this is, this is heartwarming. They're united, oh, man. Right. Like, yeah, th this is what I, this is what I said in my three year match review. Naked just like the Lego pieces just clicked. Like we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i loved i love bumber catch working on the neons uh like he's a tiktok influencer trying to figure it out richard bringing the wine from his personal cellar isaac's cousin not, not giving stuff. him a discount <laughs> to uh to repair the windows because he's a dick uh look they're all cleaning they're all helping and then and then we uh then we get to see uh old ola come through and, uh, and be awkward again because uh, Sam, you know, is conversing with Simi. They introduce and uh, Sam has just told his dad a whole lot about about Simi. And uh, he has that like nervous son energy uh, when introducing her to his dad. Uh, I thought that was a really cool thing. But it's very clear that they're uh, they're a love interest. Those two um, I think they. They made that transition off of Rebecca into Simi. Are you uh, sure? Decent. Yeah. Are you sure? I picked up on the hint there. How, do you, how can you yeah. tell? Uh, yeah, Sam isn't asking Siri the questions that Nate's asking. Just have Let it I. simmer. Let it simmer. Um, Let it simmy. There you go. Man. Anyways, the final thing Ooh. was we didn't know Sam's dad's name until the end. You know, Ola, name of the restaurant. Really just brought it home in that, in that note. And that's how we kind of ended it. Uh, so... The main theme, the lasso way. It may take a fucking dork in Trent to say the quiet part out loud, 
but Lasso fans around the world just get it. The Lasso way is about building a culture of support. It's about positive reinforcement. It's about creating a culture where individuality is embraced. It's about believing in the team. Ted has made this happen for this group in small and large ways, but the culmination could be beautiful for Richmond supporters to watch. The question is, can he get some help to do this for himself? Dun, dun, He's dun. really, really good at doing it for other people because it's easier to solve other people's problems, um, as we all know. And uh, yeah, Dan, I mean, I, 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 I had an easy way out on the main theme of this one because everything did kind of click into place. But uh, to me, I think he's still he has to face the inner boss of himself uh, before this thing actually goes. He's working on it, but it's it's not there yet. Yeah, Dark Ted is definitely the <laughs> the final boss with you know full theme music and uh, one hit kill strategies that uh, Ted has not yet figured out or leveled up enough yet to be able to take on himself. And so he does need a few more power ups in uh, the relationships and the connections and the life lessons to put himself on a path to be able to make it happen for himself just as much as his team. And once both of those are in harmony, that is when Richmond will sing and shine. Well, uh, not Cronin Anchor, but again, open-ended questions. What? Where do we go from here? I got issues. I don't even want to address it, Nick. I, I mean, there's five episodes left. I mean, I I have said this for a couple of weeks, but I just feel like even if they do four-hour episodes for the last five, which, I mean, these episodes have been long, it does. It feels like there are a lot of loose ends to tie up for five episodes, and my hope is that they don't rush it, because you know, again, we've seen uh, some instances uh, in recent memory where a TV show rushed their conclusion. It really sucked, and everyone hated it, and it soured the entire work that that went into it. So I don't know. I, I think there's a lot going on here, starting with Brandon, your favorite. Is Ted Becker still on? I'm going to bleep that out. Tell us. Tell us right now. No. Just, of course it is. Out of your mind. I mean, look, the, the odds are are not looking good. Somebody might give you even odds on this, like a 50-50 chance. I don't think it's as strong as you're <laughs> pushing out in the moment. Well, we also, <sighs> asked, we also asked, is Jack Trouble? Yes. Oh, well. I, 100%. So that's not a question. No, I, I am. I'm very convinced that uh, something bad is going to happen. There, 100% ends poorly. What about what's next for Nate and his relationship with his dad? Probably nothing. But hey, maybe, maybe him getting a girlfriend uh, changes him in his eyes. I don't know, Dan. What What are your thoughts on this? Like, I think, I think that is Nate's final boss. His dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's standard battles, right? In in like narrative, right? Like, uh, you know man versus the world and like man in the, the the general sense like just a you know individual versus the world individual versus nature individual versus himself individual versus others um nate very much i think is fighting the self battle pretty heavily right now and i think most of our characters are like that is very much the season that it is the us versus our our inner self or our inner demons and trying to figure out how to become better versions. And by being a better version of yourself, you know, everything else kind of comes into fruition and 
can be copacetic once more. So I don't know. I don't think his dad gets enough time, but I feel like something his dad will say, or the stand in dad of Ted, because Ted has played Mm. that role for Nate before Nate, you know, Ted will either inspire Nate to reconcile with his dad appropriately or something that Ted says will help him realize that the relationship with Rupert, the role at, at, you know, AFC Richmond is not right. And that will be the genesis for like Nate coming back to Richmond at the end of the season to manage them as Ted goes back to the U S or something of that nature. Like that's, that to me is like the most Hollywood type of story that could exist. Um, and, you know, cause things to maybe kind of change, um, change for a pretty dramatic way. All right. Well, before we uh, clip out, you know we got to do the Crown and Anchor Pip Pub trivia. Weird questions and observations from yours truly, Nick. What do you got? Got some good ones today. Um, it was hard to pick these out. This was not a trivia-laden episode like some of the other ones have been. But uh, first one, if you uh, were paying attention during Beard's total football rant, what position did Pep Guardiola play for Barcelona? Very important one. Uh, question number two. What is Sam's code name? I really love this. What is Sam's code name for booking a special guest at Ola? The wait list is miles long, so you have to have a, a secret code. Uh, number three, what does Sam tell Simi that she should start doing again? Uh, it's it's good for her heart. Uh, that that one. Uh, number four, which team famously won the 1974 World Cup, as illustrated by Beard? And number five, and there's a, a bonus question associated with this. What is the distance between where Nate's mom and dad were born? And bonus points if you can uh, also name the distance where they were, were raised to. The distance between. There you go. So, Dug deep. Very specific numbers on that. Yeah. That's well done. Uh, at Pod Underdogs, let us know what you got when you do. Uh, but winner, winner, football dinner. Who won the episode? Uh, Dan... Pretty much claimed it as Nick tries to give us another one, two, three again. I feel like you've evolved this into your own thing. <sighs> yeah, I was I was struggling with this one because there there were worthy winners across the board. I, th- I think Dan and mm-hmm. I agree that that Jamie was the winner of this episode uh, with the way that he functioned uh, on the pitch, and then obviously he was part of the uh, Ola cre- cleanup crew at the end. He's really evolved, and I think he's a deserving winner. Sam had a good episode. Beard had a good episode. I think those were my my three this time, Dan. Yeah, I just don't think there was anyone close to Jamie personally. I think that Sam's second place, I I, I don't know. It was like Max, Max Verstappen versus the world right now, right? Like Jamie was effectively like the Red Bull car in this moment. And like nobody was getting close to him on track. And I think Sam, though, is set up with the off the pitch activity to pick up a couple here. And again, Ted doesn't win. So that means uh, Jamie gets is up to two now, right? Did you update the numbers here on the running tally or is this first Jamie's no, first just, win? It's his first win. Yep. Okay. So I mean, then you only have Ted and Rebecca to a piece and then you have a Nate, Jamie, Rupert, Zava all at one. I think this sets us up again for a dramatic finish to the end of the season here. Look, Sam could come in out of nowhere the back half of the season and pick up a couple. All he needs is three to claim the throne. So 
Stay tuned. Anything's possible. Zava comes back and just runs the table, Tan. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> Unretires and goes to West Ham. Oof. Yeah, I don't, thankfully, uh, Richmond still own his registration. So that would be maybe a bridge too far for me, even for a fiction yeah. show. Yeah. That'd be tough. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, maybe a January transfer window. Anyways, look. We're going to end it there. That is it for this episode of The Underdogs. Please connect with us at Pod Underdogs on social media, TikTok, Instagram, all the good places, Twitter. We'd love to continue to chat there, especially when you get your crown and Anchor Pub trivia answers. And if you'd be so kind, quick, take 15 seconds. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, five-star review helps us be seen, and it is working, ladies and gentlemen. We really appreciate those. Uh, the numbers are going up. People are finding us. So anyways, that would mean the world to us. But we are out. We'll see you on the next episode.